Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live on this Wednesday, February 10th. It is the Feast of St. Scholastica, the sister of St. Benedict, uh, who is famous in her own right for her incredible holiness and her commitment to Jesus as a consecrated religious. Uh, she uh, is, is someone who we'll talk about tonight. Uh, thanks for, for hanging with me last week while I was away on retreat. So uh, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed that little video about Project Chrysalis uh, that I had done before. This is uh, for, for those who uh, have lost children or, or grandchildren. And so I, I did a little talk for uh, Project Chrysalis and uh, posted that uh, video for last week's uh, Sean the Baptist Live. So uh, the video was recorded live, but uh, wasn't live live uh, last Wednesday. In fact, I recorded it last Tuesday and then I was away on retreat. Uh, during our, our time last Wednesday. But I am back live, live with you tonight from St. Patrick Catholic Church here in Kansas City, Kansas, where I am done retreating and I am charging again. So uh, I guess that's kind of the moral of the story. Sometimes we have to retreat so that we can then charge ahead. And so uh, uh, that's that's what uh, I went away to do. And it's a great time of, of prayer. And I went to Colorado, so I did a lot of hiking, saw some mountains, uh, reconnected with great friends and and really got to see some some good family that I, I hadn't seen for uh, a bit as well. So it was a, a really great refreshing time. I have to say though that um, I kind of wish I could go back to the warm Rocky Mountains because it was 50 degrees uh, in the afternoons. Great for hiking. I come back to Kansas and it's below zero. So I, I don't quite know what to do with that. The Rocky Mountains were warmer and better. But uh, I got so much exercise. You know, I have to think, if I lived in Colorado, uh, I would be in such great shape. I mean, they've got mountains and pine forests and things going for them. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, Kansas has got its own beauty. You get into kind of the eastern part of Colorado, and then it starts to look a little flat more. And I'm like, hey, this looks like Kansas. Um, and so it did some of that, too. But um, great to see the snow-covered Rockies and... Um, sit by a fire uh, in in the evenings and enjoy that. Uh, so uh, good to be back with you here, though. Uh, here at uh, St. Patrick's, as I mentioned, it is well, it's cold. It's been uh, a lot of uh, snow shoveling, uh, and uh, thanks to Mark Gilstrap, uh, we thirst while you were gone. Thirst. I like that. It's very. It's either very theological on Mark's part, or he meant to say like he missed me while I was gone. Either way, not such a bad thing, but I am back with you tonight. Um, I can't find my little spotlight thing, so if I look a little blue on, on this angle, it's because when I'm looking at you here, I got my computer monitor right in front of me, and if you don't know, like that gives out kind of a blue light. When I go to the left here, this is my real camera, that looks a lot better, and so probably it's, um, it's a little nicer looking, but... Anyway, so um, a little little update here. So uh, tonight, ask you to especially keep in your prayers uh, Father John Reynolds, a priest of the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, long time. And uh, he's been suffering with uh, Parkinson's, Lewy body disease. Um, been a great struggle for him. And he is in hospice and uh, near the, the end of his life, any any moment, really. So uh, our pastor here, Father Mark Murtis, is a... Uh, Really good, long-time, lifelong friend of uh, Father John Reynolds. It has really been beautiful to see Father Mark take care of Father John uh, here in the last days of his life. And so Father Mark is with him right now, and um, 
So keep Father John Reynolds and uh, Father Mark as well and all the priests of the Archdiocese of Kansas City in your prayers. As uh, it's always sad to lose one of our own from their, their earthly ministry, but uh, pray in this year of St. Joseph, uh, especially for a, a happy death for Father John and uh, that he will quickly move on to his reward uh, in heaven. Uh, Joyce is on as always and has given the little prayer emojis there. So thanks for your your prayers for uh, for Father John. Uh, thanks, Diane, for, for that as well. All right. So, um, I, you know, we've got one more week until Lent starts. Next week is uh, Ash Wednesday. Hard to believe, but, uh, yeah, it seems like we just finished Christmas. You know, I, I got my little major scene taken down back there, uh, put away. Yeah, even if I strung it out to February 2nd, well, we're we're there. So uh, Christmas tide is definitely over now, and um, Lent is going to be upon us. Uh, so what are you doing for Lent? Do you got questions? Anyone want to share? Uh, you know, I um, I was looking uh, at the uh, the bulletin. Uh, I wrote a bulletin article this, this weekend. And um, one of the things I notice when I look at the scriptures for this upcoming weekend, it's, uh, it's about uh, Jesus healing a, a leper, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, lepers in the... Uh, in the scriptures, this is this is not uh, a fun disease at all, uh, but it also had great social consequences. So if you were a, a leper, uh, not only were you sick, so literally there was like pieces of your skin falling off your body, as if that's not bad enough, uh, you're also a social outcast. Uh, so you are, you know, uh, after you're determined to be a leper, you, you literally have to go around anytime anybody tries to get near you, uh, you have to yell out, unclean, unclean. Um, yeah, it's almost like if you were to cough today, everyone would just like, ah, move away from you, like COVID, quick, if anybody coughs, you know, everyone like runs for the hills. Um, it was it was at least that bad uh, and, uh, well, a little bit worse. Uh, so great social consequences as well as great physical suffering. Uh, so whenever we talk about lepers, you know, we have to keep uh, that that kind of thing in mind. But um, it's interesting because in the, the first reading uh, for Mass this weekend, which ties in with the healing of the leper, it talks about leprosy in the Old Testament and how if, if you were suspected of being a leper, well, you weren't, you weren't allowed to like judge that yourself. Okay, you had to, to go show yourself to the priest. And then the, the priest would make a judgment as to whether or not you are clean or unclean. Um, and because it had great social consequences. If someone is a leper, that's a contagious kind of disease and it tends to, to spread and uh, infect everybody. And so I, I thought that was interesting that you had to um, go show yourself to the priest and someone else, you know, would make the determination. Because then it happens that when Jesus, you know, in a gospel heals a leper, he says, okay, now go show yourself to the priest. Like, why would he do that? Well, because the priest is the one who could then make the determination to say, Okay, you're no longer a leper. You're you're healed, um, and so there there are two things that came to mind. One I wrote about in the bulletin uh, for this weekend. So if you're St. Pat's, you'll see this. But um, the idea that when you're thinking about what to to give up for for Lent, um, a lot of times we think of well, like well, what do I want to do? I'll give up this, or you know, hopefully we 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 give something up, but then we we also take something on, something good that we want to do. And we're going to talk about that tonight with kind of a rule of life. Um, but here's a thought that came to mind. Just like a leper couldn't 
diagnosed his own leprosy and, and couldn't declare himself clean or unclean. What if you what if you asked somebody else this year, what do you think I should give up for Lent? What do you think I ought to do? Okay, that might be interesting. Ask your spouse, what do you think I need to give up for Lent? Or, you know, ask a, a parent or a friend, a relative. You know, I'm not saying you have to do it. I mean, that would be bold if you just told your spouse, like, I'm going to give up whatever you tell me to give up for Lent. Wow, there's like humble submission and obedience to your spouse. Uh, might also help you get holy because your spouse probably knows better than anybody what you need to give up or fast from. But let's say you're not going to just automatically agree. It's still a good idea. Like, maybe ask. Okay, what what do you see? Where do you think the weaknesses or sicknesses are? And especially if you if you love your spouse, I mean, your your goal as a spouse is to get both of you to heaven. Or even in our spiritual friendships, we want to get each other to heaven. That's that's the thing that we want most of all. So, yeah, it's not like we're, we need to focus on just our weaknesses. So life is not about, oh, let's eliminate all my weaknesses. Number one, that's impossible and it's going to drive you crazy. Uh, instead, I, I really like the idea of maximizing our strengths. Yeah, so a spouse should especially do that, okay? Most of the time, let's say 90% of the time, the job in our relationships, especially marriages, spousal relationship, Find what's good about the other person and help magnify it. Build them up. Help them to maximize their gifts and talents. I think that's one of the best things we can do. But there are times when you can say, okay, maybe you can help uh, someone you care about see a weakness that they don't see. Uh, and so that's also a really great thing you could do. So just like a leper would have to go show himself to the priest, maybe take a risk uh, th this year and, and show yourself uh, and ask someone else, where am I unclean? Where do I need a little help? Where can I, I work to uh, magnify uh, my gifts by sort of eliminating weaknesses too? All right, here's the other thing that I didn't put in the bulletin. Uh, this idea about the social sin of, of leprosy and the idea that, you know, like, wow, why are they so mean to the leper? You know, kick him out of the, the society and make him live by themselves and uh, go around yelling unclean, unclean. That, that sounds horrible. Like, why would you do that to someone? Well, it's not because, like, we're looking to ostracize people for no reason. It's, it's because if you're a leper, you've got a really, really infectious disease that if you just stay in the community like normal, well, you're going to infect everybody. So that's not good. Uh, so it's not without reason that the, the lepers are kind of put aside. And I thought about that as... Um, you know, I read something that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops said kind of some of them had said is they're debating like what to do about um you know politicians and eucharistic communion and should people be excommunicated and should they be denied communion and uh, those are kind of technical words that a lot of people maybe don't understand and what caught my attention though was that some of the bishops were saying you know it's just not a, a nice catholic thing to do to be like excluding people uh from the eucharist and, and one person, this really kind of irked me um, because they, and this wasn't a bishop, this was someone else who was speaking on behalf of the, the bishops, saying that, you know, in our history, we just haven't done this. I'm thinking, in our, our history, we haven't done this? Like, exclude people from communion? Um, really, only in our recent history have we gotten soft on this. Uh, I'm thinking about the early church in, in particular, and by early, I mean like the first several centuries. And 
you know, all the time, they had big sins that not only would it exclude you from the Eucharist, like they kick you right out of the church. Uh, I'm thinking of adultery, apostasy, and uh, murder. You, you commit any of those, like you can't even be Christian anymore. Like your your baptism, they thought might be invalid. Like there's no baptism again, so there's no way to repent from sin. Like so, we don't even have confession at this point. So if you committed one of those things, you're out. And why? Because those are just like oh, these are the ones we're going to pick on. No, because these are the things that most undermine society. Adultery, apostasy, and murder, not only are, are sins against God, but they're going to undermine the entire fabric of your society. It's like a leprosy that is just going to destroy you. So they, they had to take serious action. Now today, I think we have something similar in kind of just the, uh, I guess, carelessness in the way we treat the Eucharist. Uh, so it's not just, oh, who can go to the, the Eucharist, but who even believes the Eucharist? Do we really believe this is God? Do we really believe the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? Um, if so, of course, we're not going to want to approach unworthily. I mean, you're not going to want to approach the, the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin. It would do more harm than good. Uh, so there's a, a pastoral side in which the, the law of the church actually says that if someone is manifestly persisting obstinately in grave sin— well, their, their priest should not give them communion because it will hurt them. I mean, it's just like giving a, a prescription to someone who ordinarily it's good, but this person is allergic to it, okay? Maybe they're going to have a, a violent reaction. And that's what happens spiritually when we give the Eucharist to someone in serious sin. Uh, not only is it not good for them, it, it hurts them terribly, like a violent reaction. We just don't see it physically. It's, it's spiritual. Uh, so there's that. But then there's also the issue of the larger society and, and scandal, um, part of the problem is when we got people saying, I'm a great Catholic, I'm a devout Catholic. Number one, uh, anyone who ever says I'm a devout Catholic, you can be sure they're not because people who are actually good practicing Catholics realize how humbly miserable sinners we are in need of help. And we don't go around saying, yeah, look at me. I'm a great Catholic. Uh, no, great Catholics actually don't do that. Like St. Therese, the little flower. Uh, she probably never committed a serious sin her whole life. But you read her autobiography, she's like, I'm terrible. I'm the most sinner of sinners. I'm horrible. Uh, so yeah, someone who goes around saying what a miserable sinner they are, more likely to be a devout Catholic than someone says they're devout Catholic. Nonetheless, it's really popular today for public people, especially to go around saying what a great Catholic they are. And then they espouse things that Catholics cannot espouse. Like, you know, obviously favoring abortion and things like that. And that's what's getting the ball rolling again on uh, politicians who now have the power because of who's in power to vote to uh, promote abortion. And we're not talking just tolerate it, but actually promote it. Um, what should we do? Well, it's more than just that individual person's soul, but really the soul of the whole church. Do we really believe what we say we believe? If we believe that the murder of an innocent child is one of the greatest crimes we could ever commit, then why don't we act like it? How could we just kind of casually tolerate it? It'd be like if the church were to just casually tolerate, eh, you know, a little murder here and there is not a big deal. Little apostasy, who cares if, if no one really cares who's married to who? Well, pretty soon if you get lax on big things, you you fall apart. And we're, I mean, we're already seeing that. Why are we so polarized in our politics? Abortion. Uh, we can compromise on economic issues, things like that. But when it comes to uh, are we in favor of killing little children or not? There's just there's just no middle ground. There, there's only one right answer to that question. So kind of as uh, a little bit of, of intro on a different topic there because it's kind of uh, timely. Um, yeah, there are things in the church as deadly as 
leprosy right now. And it's it's not physical illness. It's not COVID. Uh, it's kind of a moral laxity and uh, sadly a, a tolerance of this moral laxity by the church hierarchy, especially her, herself. We're not willing to stand up and call out sin as sin and uh, to actually invoke family discipline. Like we're... We're very keen on rooting out um, any kind of uh, sexual things now. That's like the the big thing because of the sexual abuse of minors scandal. Now we we won't tolerate any any of that, but we'll we'll tolerate heresy and sacramental abuse all over the place and do nothing. So um, pray for the church and and leadership here that uh, we can uh, be bold and uh, help invoke some some good church discipline to uh, just stand up for what we really believe. And uh, if we do that, uh, will people leave? Yeah, I, I kind of hope so, actually. I mean, there are a bunch of people who say they don't really believe in the Eucharist in the first place. Why are they still here? There's no reason to be Catholic if it's not for the Eucharist. So, I don't know. Should we lose people? Yeah, I kind of think so. I think if if we're preaching the truth about who we say we are and what we believe, we got a bunch of people hanging around who don't really believe that. So... Anything we could do to make it more clear what we believe such that some people will leave because they don't believe it, it's not a bad thing. That's a that's a good thing. Um, it's true in, in ecumenical relations. Uh, you can't compromise on what you believe to bring about unity. Uh, actually, adherence to truth brings about unity because it's then clear what everyone believes. Um, so that's a little uh, introduction to leprosy and the upcoming <laughs> readings for, for this weekend. Uh, Mark is asking, will we have any Lenten retreat in the church? Yes. Uh, Father Mark and Father Michael and I uh, are due to meet anytime. Uh, Father John Reynolds' illness has kind of thrown us for a loop. Uh, but um, soon we are, in fact, going to be talking about having a parish mission uh, that uh, the three of us, I think, are, are going to give. So um, stay tuned for that. As soon as um, we can get a meeting in, we, we are going to, to do that, uh, actually, for Lent. All right. So uh, with that introduction, uh, do feel free to give your questions, but I... I did want to talk a little bit about a, a rule of life. Now, what, what am I talking about when I, I talk about a rule of life? Well, first of all, uh, a rule, uh, I don't mean this um, in maybe the sense you might be thinking of it. So uh, a rule in the church kind of has a, a technical sense. So for instance, if you are part of a, a religious order, like say the, the Benedictines, well, when St. Benedict founded the Benedictines, he wrote for them a rule, a, a regula, a rule of life. And so it essentially outlines this is what their day is going to look like. It's, it's what uh, they're going to do to pursue holiness according to their, their own particular charism as, as Benedictines in that case. So St. Benedict's rule uh, is one of the most famous. It's really one of the very first monastic rules. Uh, now, Augustine and, and Basil in the East, uh, there are other religious rules, but for a long time, the Benedictine rule is what most newfound religious orders were based on. And it, it's the kind of typical things we would think of monastic life, like what hours are we going to pray and when are we going to eat and how is uh, work going to be carried out? And the famous motto of the Benedictines is ora et labora, work and prayer. So Benedict writes this regula, this, this rule to, to govern uh, his his new little group of religious, and it orders their day, so that um, you know it, it's not that everyone has to live it the same way. I mean, if you look at the Dominican rule, it, it, it's different. Certainly, the Franciscan rule is 
is different. And so there's not one right rule of life. There's no one right way. Father, how should I order my life? Well, I don't know. That's that's something that has to be discerned. So people who would join a religious order uh, have discerned that they feel called to that particular rule of life. Uh, so, for instance, when I was, was thinking about being a priest, uh, the uh, things I went through my mind was like, well, I, I enjoy that kind of communal prayer like uh, the monks do in the monastery. So like maybe I should be a, a Benedictine. I thought, well, I don't know if I'm called to kind of be isolated from the world as much because the monastic life uh, is a bit of separation from the world. Although Benedictines, you know, work in prayer, they, they kind of do it a little bit differently. So I thought, well, if I'm looking for more of a external preaching kind of mission, well, the, the Dominicans are the order of preachers, OP. That's what that stands for, Ordo Predicarum. Uh, and so they preach, and I, I really like doing that, so maybe I should do that. But part of their rule is also mendicancy and prayer and, and begging and poverty. And I go, okay, I'm less, less called to that. Um, so I thought the Jesuits, you know, they follow a rule that involves a lot of study and uh, teaching, things like that. I thought, well, that might kind of work, but, well, there are other issues with the Jesuits in modern times. And so it wasn't quite maybe the community fit that I was looking for. And so I kind of went round and round about this and I realized, I, I, you know, there's not one particular community that fits me. So as a diocesan priest, I get to do a little bit what all of you get to do as lay people, and that is create my own rule uh, for life. So I might talk a little bit tonight about how I structure my life. And as particularly as we come up to Lent, the reason I want to talk about this tonight is because as we come to Lent, uh, all of us are looking to make some changes. And that might mean eliminating some things that are, are getting in the way of holiness. But it probably also means adding some things that maybe we need to be doing that we, we haven't been. So it's a good time to kind of help formulate what, what rule, what order to my life do I want to bring about? Because when I'm looking at what do I want to do for Lent, I'm always looking at what can I do such that it's not just, I'm going to do this for Lent, and then when Lent is over, I'm, I'm done with that. That's why, you know, don't just give up chocolate for Lent. Because what's going to happen when Easter comes? Well, even if I do give up chocolate for Lent, which, which I've done, and it's, it's not a bad thing to do. But when Easter comes, I, I'm going to gorge myself on Russell Stover cream eggs. I love Russell Stover cream eggs. If you're looking to get me something for Easter, by the way, I, I like the, the dark chocolate maple and the, uh, the milk chocolate vanilla. Those, those are my two favorites, but strawberry uh, is, a, is a third favorite. So anyway, mental note, what to get Father Sean for Easter? Russell Stover cream eggs. Not those, not those Cadbury eggs. I don't, they're dumb. I don't like the Cadbury eggs. Don't get me peeps. I don't like peeps. Um, I like chocolate and the, uh, the Russell Stover cream eggs with the beautiful cream filling. That's nice. Okay. But anyway, if I give up chocolate for, for Lent, I, I'm going to go back to eating chocolate after Lent is over, pretty much. So what can I do uh, that, you know, moves me forward a little bit? So what new good habits can I form over over Lent so that when I get to Easter, I've, I've formed a new habit and I have a new freedom. I'm, I'm not going to go just back to something. So I, I did a little bit of that, as you know, for Advent. So... Um, for Advent, I decided I wanted to to pray more, uh, and I realized um, if I was going to do that, where am I going to find the time? Uh, because time keeps getting away. You think, oh, you're a priest, you have time to pray. Well, there's there's stuff, there's stuff, there's adulting to do as a priest as well. Um, so I decided, well, I need to get up earlier. So for Advent, I decided, well, I'm going to got to get up at five every day. Uh, after Christmas, I kind of kind of slacked off a little bit on that. 
So I think I'm going to reboot that. Uh, definitely be getting up at 5 every morning and pray all my, my liturgy hours and things. So when we look at a rule of life, we should start with our day. And, and granted, not every day is going to be exactly the same. We're not monks. Even even diocesan priests are not monks. Uh, so we, we have no guarantee that, you know, every day might not be different from the previous day. And certainly you know that as lay people. Uh, to get two days in a row that look the same, you know, okay, if, if you're retired and, and living kind of a habitual life, sure. But if, if you're married, you got kids, and you're running all over the place, um, good luck. I mean, two days in a row that are the same? No, try try to find like two hours that, that match up. Uh, so your rule has to be your rule. And uh, I grew up in St. Uh, Francis de Sales Parish in Lansing, and uh St. Francis de Sales was a, a great kind of guide for this for lay people. He, he pointed out that uh, holiness has to be done according to our state of life. That means, are, are, are you a lay person? Well, then you, you can't spend, you know, eight hours a day in prayer in the church like a, a monk might or a contemplative. You've got family responsibilities you got to take care of. So your prayer is going to look different than a monk. Same way if, if you're a, a priest... You know, I've got lots of responsibilities to take care of at the parish. I've got a family, too, in, in the parish family uh, and various things. But um, if I were to spend my whole day just doing stuff and taking care of things and not, you know, getting at least an hour of prayer, you know, well, then I'd be messing up. And, and you know, uh, St. Francis de Sales uses the example, look, if, if, you're, a, if you're a bishop— you got to be taking care of your priest in your diocese. You can't spend all day in prayer as if you're a monk. Uh, so holiness according to our state of life is one of the first things I think we need to keep in mind when we're looking at a rule of life. So with that said, in general terms, when we look at our day, okay, what what might we want to put in there? Well, okay, um, let's say... We, we start to say, okay, well, this is a religious thing, so we need to pray. Okay, good. How long and when? Well, let's say for just the beginner, just starting out, okay, 15 minutes of meditation a day. What do I mean by meditation? So I don't mean vocal prayer, like praying the, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, not pray the rosary for 15 minutes, although that can be meditative. I mean 15 minutes of maybe read a little passage of scripture, and then mull it over in our minds, talk to Jesus about it. Okay, we call that colloquy, colloquium, to talk with, to talk together. Talk to Jesus about it. Um, talk about what's going on. Okay, I read this passage of scripture today. What, is it, what does it say to me? Uh, if you're looking to get into scripture, here's, here's a recommendation I got. Start it, start it for Lent if you want. Father Mike Schmitz from Ascension Press out in uh, Denver. Uh, Bible in a Year podcast. I think it's like 15, 20 minutes on the average a, a day and uh, gets through multiple books of the Bible, going through it in a year. Um, you ever wanted to get through the Bible? There's a great way to do it. You got a podcast. Just just listen. Give, give that something and then take a little time to, to pray about it. If you're going to do the, the Bible in a Year podcast, probably I'm a, I recommend a half an hour prayer. Listen to the podcast and then take some time for personal prayer to think about it. However it looks for you. Make sure you're getting in 15 minutes of meditation a day. And then beyond that, you know, you want to throw in praying the rosary. Or, or maybe you go to church and you, you make a holy hour. Great. Um, figure out where that prayer time is going to go. And, you know, maybe you're the kind of person where you can just say, I'll work it in. All right. 
if, if you're good about that so that you know, like, okay, 15 minutes is what I'm committing to a day. Or maybe I'm going to read, you know, whatever the, the Bible in a year thing is for today. Okay, if you know that you can work that into your day somewhere and you're going to have a 15-minute pause or break somewhere and you can do it, great, more power to you. I will say that as a priest uh, whose life is supposedly supposed to be more ordered toward prayer, I found for myself that if I put off certain prayer to when I had time, it just, a lot of the time it didn't happen. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. So what I had to do was say, you know what, anything I do before the 6.30 mass in the morning, that gets done. Guaranteed. Because I can make that the same every day. If I get up at 5, by the time I make my bed and, and shower and make my coffee and get dressed, I have from 5.30 to 6.30 every day that that's the only way I can do that I know that time is going to happen. So that's what I decided to do. I make every day the same. And when I'm on, I, it's... It's get up at five every day. I mean, Sunday through Sunday, every day. Even if it's my day off, even if it's, yeah. Because it's so easy the next day to just blow it off in the morning and like, oh, I already missed that. And so what, mm, not a good idea. So for me, I know my rule is what gets done before 6.30 mass gets done. Now, you can figure out your day. Um, I know when I was working at Sprint and you know commuting back and forth, I knew that, again, if what I got done praying before I left, that would that would happen. And then so I decided I would start every day with Mass. And so I, I commuted in, got to like 7.30 Mass at Ascension, Holy Spirit, someplace like that. And then I, and then I got into the Sprint campus and, and got to work. So I adjusted, different time in life. Whatever it is for you, figure it out. Can you allow prayer to be flexible at some point in the day where you get it in, or does it need to be the same time every day? So that's kind of a good anchor to your day. Now, beyond that, you know, I recommend probably scheduling in things like exercise, time for friends, good things like that. And maybe that will be different every day. But maybe your rule says, just like I'm going to pray for 15 minutes a day or whatever, I'm going to do these things each day. I'm going to, you know, call one friend. I'm going to exercise for a half an hour. Uh, okay, so your rule might say, I will do these things each day. And then you're going to figure out where they fit. And maybe you don't get to it every day. Okay, but at least you know, this is my rule. And so on the, on the whole, this is what I want to be doing. Am I doing it? And I have, I have things like that too. Like, you know, I, I want to exercise like five times a week. To, to go for a walk and, you know, I, I've, I was doing like my push-ups and sit-ups and stuff. Uh, okay, that I got to work on for Lent as well. Isn't Lent great? We get kind of a reboot. Um, but that I can say, all right, I'm going to do this, you know, X number of times a week or something like that. And then I know if I'm, I'm fitting it in. Uh, so notice that it's not just religious, spiritual things. You, we we want to have a well-balanced life. We're body, soul, okay? We're a composite, body, soul, composite means we got we got to take care of our body and our spirit because the the two work together. If if we're not taking care of our body, if we're eating like crap, if we're not sleeping well, if we're not exercising, well pretty soon our spiritual life is going to go in the toilet as well. So uh we got to take care of both. So you might not think that oh exercise is a spiritual thing. Well, I mean, I know people who really like exercise and so it is super spiritual, 
I am not one of those people. Exercise is hard for me. Okay, even I've lost like 120 pounds. It's still not something I look forward to. Um, I did when I was in Colorado. I just like, I can't wait to go hike today. I think we need to move some mountains from Colorado to Kansas, or at least a pine forest and a mountain stream or something, because uh, that inspired me to go out and exercise. Beyond that, exercise is hard for me. I don't do it a whole lot. So have a rule for what you, you know, want to have fixed in your day, and then things that you want to accomplish each day that, you know, maybe maybe it is I pray a rosary each day. And so maybe that is something that is, is flexible that you can fit in wherever you have time. Okay, I often do that when I'm driving. Um, lately, I've been kind of praying the rosary in the morning. I pray all this, uh, the Psalms and stuff in Latin, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office. And so after I finished kind of this formal sort of prayer, I, I like to kind of just sit back in my chair with my rosary and just kind of meditate a little bit nicely with, without any kind of formal sort of prayer. So anyway, find those things for you. Um, so daily kind of routines. And, and maybe, you know, you're going to pray before you go to bed. Some of my earliest memories are my, my mom kind of tucking me in at night and we're going to say our prayers before we go to bed. Not a, not a bad thing to do there. Maybe kneel down beside your bed uh, and go over your day. Tell God you're sorry for the things you messed up. Think about the things that were blessings. Thank God for that. I remember my, my grandma and grandpa when I would stay at their house kneeling down, praying a decade of the rosary together before bed. Um, so there, there are all kinds of things that you might add into your day. But have some kind of a rule. Uh, not to not to say, like, it's your rule. I mean, there, there's no right or wrong. But if we don't have some kind of, this is what I intended to do, then we have no way to, to know, did I do it? Am I making progress? Am I doing what I said I would do? I mean, at least if you know, I say, okay, I'm going to pray the rosary every day, and you never do it, at least you know, like, oh, I'm not doing it. I said I was going to do it, but I'm not. So there's something to keep in mind for the day. Now, after we, we kind of work out the, the day, okay, so what about for the week? All right, so obviously number one priority of the week, we get to Mass every Sunday or, or Saturday evening if we can't, you know, get on, on Sunday. Sunday is still the Lord's Day. Even if you uh, fulfill the Mass obligation on Saturday evening like we can now, um, you're, you're still bound to keep holy the Lord's Day on Sunday, which means rest uh, from work and, and theoretically you know, Sunday should stick out as a, a day that's that's different than, than every other day. Uh, this is the Lord's Day. Uh, I always tell people, if, if someone observed your life throughout the week, would they be able to tell that Sunday is, in fact, the Lord's Day? Would it look different? Um, I know when I was in the Holy Land, for instance, uh, so when we stayed in, in Bethlehem, uh, which is a, a largely... Uh, Muslim city today. It's only like, you know, a handful of Christians still there. And it's in the West Bank, so there are no, no Jews in uh, Bethlehem. Well, when it became Friday, the Muslim Holy Day, you knew it. Like the whole city shut down. There's nobody on the street. There's nothing open. And the, the mosques are blaring the call to prayer from the minaret and the, the weekly sermon. It, it was obvious. I mean, you didn't have to be Muslim or religious or anything to know if you're in Bethlehem on Friday, you're like, whoa, something's different. And when I was in Jerusalem and it gets to be Friday evening going into the Sabbath on Saturday, like you knew it. Everything shut down Friday evening. It was closed all day Saturday. And then Saturday evening, everything would pop back open. You knew when it was Sabbath, something is different. 
Uh, I mean, you could you could go down to the Western Wall and see them, you know, celebrating Shabbat, but you knew. I, even if you're an outsider who doesn't know anything about religion, you say, whoa, what, why, why, what's strange about Saturday? And someone could tell you. Is that true for us as Christians? So I think number one thing we got to have in our rule is that Sunday takes precedence over everything else. And there, there are two obligations we have on Sunday. One is to attend Mass. Now, COVID being what it is, that, that might be uh, temporarily suspended where you are. It is still in Kansas City uh, right now. I don't know how long that will go on. But normally, we have an obligation to attend Mass. That, that obligation to attend Mass on Sunday can be fulfilled in the evening of the day before. So normally, we would say after 4 p.m. Uh, on the day before. But also, the obligation to keep Holy Sunday. Uh, it's a day of rest. It's a day devoted to the Lord. What do you devote your Sunday to? So that might be something to think of for Lent. How are you doing on keeping holy the Lord's day? Not just going to Mass, although we, we should all do that. That's the, the high point. But really, to, to keep holy Sunday the way our Jewish ancestors would keep holy the Sabbath. It's, uh, it's the Lord's day. So that's the number one thing on our weekly rule of life. Beyond that, what else? Well, Maybe you do want to get to daily Mass once a week. If you've got the time, why not? It, it's kind of good to get a, a feel for Mass outside just the, the formal time of, of Sunday. Uh, so maybe daily Mass uh, at some point. Or more likely, if especially if you're a family, what are, what are you going to do as a family each week? So maybe at least once a week, maybe you pray the rosary together a family. I, I know lots of families who do that every day, but maybe for you it's a, it's a once a week thing, or at least during Lent. Maybe you give up. Uh, maybe you give up TV like one night a week, or, or even all of Lent, or every day but Sunday in Lent. Replace that with something. Maybe you're going to pray together. Maybe you. I know one family. They're they're reading uh, through the Bible in the year and the Catechism in a thing, and they do that every evening. Uh, when I'm over at their house, I join in, and it's it, it's nice. Um, so think about something that you might want to add in this Lent to kind of form a new habit. Uh, to set aside some time during the week. Um, you know, Wednesday evenings, we've got the, the Sean Baptist Live. You can certainly check into that, 6.30 to 7.30, uh, or catch it on, you know, YouTube or podcast, something like that. Uh, there are lots of good things you might add, but try to think of what you would do the, for a week, okay? And that's going to be very different. Maybe it's, you know, uh, some uh, deliberate time away that you're going to go do something as a family that's that's not, you know, sports or some kind of organized thing. You're just going to go do something as a family. Maybe it's go out to the the park or maybe go take a walk together or, you know, even watch a movie together or something, a, a good, you know, religious maybe movie that to help you there. All kinds of things you could do for a week. Get it part of your rule, though, so you kind of know, like when I'm over at this family's house, and it comes evening time and like, hey, our family prays the rosary together. That's what we do. You're welcome to join us, Father. Okay, that's their rule. They're, you know, and that's not easy. There's things that come up. But on the whole, they pray the rosary. Or they're, they're going to read scripture together as a family. Or they're going to share their day. Uh, it's their rule. And they know it. So they will know if they stop doing it. Then they'll at least have to ask, hey, we, we stopped praying the rosary together. Did we mean to do that? Or did it just kind of fall apart? So have a, a weekly rule, okay? 
Then there is, of course, the, the larger time frame of like a monthly rule. And here I want to, number one thing I would put on there for a month, get to confession once a month. Okay, the, the average Catholic, if you really want to grow in holiness, I'm not talking about, oh, super Catholics only. I mean the average Catholic, if you want to grow in holiness, you want a, your relationship with God to really take off, you want to you get over habitual sin and move towards habitual grace, you need to get to confession once a month. Okay, and that's actually pretty easy to do right now because with COVID, not a whole lot of people are even getting out. I mean, lines for confession here at St. Pat's are not that long. Uh, so 3.30 to 4.30 on, on Saturdays here. Uh, we also do 5.30 to 6.30 on Tuesday evenings. You show up, you're, you're going to be able to get to a priest and get to confession. But the reason we do that is just like I kind of said, like, you know, maybe every day it's good to end your day with a little examination of how are we doing. And again, if you've got a rule, you know, like, how am I really doing? Well, it's good to do that on a larger scale, too, over a course of a month. Because we might get off on our rule here and there on a day or two and let things slip. But over the course of a month, you ought to be able to say, have I done it? Am I, am I living the way I ought to? Now, let's say you, you only go to confession twice a year. Like, oh, I go at uh, Christmas and Easter. Okay, number one, Christmas to Easter is a lot shorter time frame than Easter to Christmas. So you're not really getting to confession like, oh, I go every six months. No, you go like every four months and then every eight months. And eight months is a long time to go without confession. So get in, you know, if, if you're only checking yourself like twice a year and it's at a penance service and it's really quick, are, are you really getting a good idea of like where you're at? Okay, if you check in once a month with, with a priest in confession, and let's say there's like one thing you want to work on. Well, you can do that from month to month. It's hard to do that over the course of just, oh, I go twice a year. That's more like I'm just, I feel like I need to get cleaned up, so I'll go, and it's something Catholics do, but it's not really a part of your life. Okay, if you're going to confession twice a year, um, confession is not really a big part of your life. It's something you do because, well, I'm Catholic, and I do that every now and then. You want to you wanna get holy, put confession on your monthly rule. And, and maybe it's good that you schedule, I'm going to go on the, the first Saturday of every month or the second Saturday or I'm going to get on the third Tuesday or whatever it is. And, you know, find out when it's your parish. I mean, there are places that have confessions every day. So you can make this work, okay? And we'll, we'll talk more about confession a lot during Lent, but it doesn't have to be this big deal where it's like, you know, if you only go once or twice a year, yeah, then it's like, oh my gosh, I got to remember all this stuff and what do I do? And it's been a while and... You go once a month, you're like, no, confession should be a couple minutes, okay? Unless unless there's something really unusual going on, it's going to be the, the usual sin. So I go, Father, I don't, it's just the usual stuff. I don't want to keep confessing the same sin. What, you want to confess new sins? Yeah, bring bring the normal sins. That's just how we, we get over it. We go regularly. So, so plan, especially during Lent. You know, maybe during Lent, go every week. Woo, knock yourself out, go every week. You know, lift more than you have to during Lent. Then if you want to go back to once a month after Lent, sure, whatever. But at least once a month. So put that on your monthly thing. Um, the other thing that maybe this is, you know, I'll, I'll throw this out there as kind of an example, and then you can tweak it for your own particular life. But uh, as a priest, one of the things I like to commit to is that once a month, I'm going to do what, what we kind of call a desert day or a day of recollection. Kind of like I went on my retreat, where a normal retreat for me is I spend a lot of time in silence and quiet prayer in the chapel and get away from everything else. 
um, I'd like to recreate that one day a month, you know? And so maybe I'll get away on a Sunday evening and, and go away to a retreat house like Christ Peace House of Prayer we have in uh, Kansas City here, or I'll, I'll go stay with another priest uh, farther away or with a friend or something like that uh, so that I, I can wake up Monday and spend most of the day just quiet in prayer away. And I'm going to tell you, it's um, even just doing it once a month, it's hard. Because I have my ideas like, oh, I want to do all these like fun things on a Monday. Monday's my day off. And, you know, I could go do this and I could do that. And I could do this. So to kind of commit to, all right, one day, I'm just going to do kind of peaceful prayer away, quiet. It can be kind of hard because entertainment is easier. But I always find if I commit to that and I do it, I, I feel better. So what can you do like that once a month? And, and maybe it's not a whole day. Probably you can't get that, especially if you've got a family. But what could you do as a family or even just, you know, you as an individual? Maybe you can't get the whole family away, but maybe maybe you can say, you know, uh, when the husband gets home from work or whatever, the wife could say, look, I need once a month. If, if you could take the kids for, for the evening, I need to go off by myself. I'm going to go to church and spend, you know, to three hours in in prayer journaling or maybe it's not church i mean it's probably it's not you're gonna probably not gonna spend three hours at church maybe maybe you're gonna go off to your your favorite little picnic shelter at the the park you're gonna walk and talk with god you're gonna sit and journal whatever something to, to break up the routine where you're gonna say i'm gonna give an additional dedicated time to god something like a, a desert day that i might do and i like i said i go like sunday evening and i go Maybe I, I finish up then Monday afternoon and I go out and have some fun Monday evening, uh, something like that. Go to go to dinner, go see a priest, go see a movie, something like that. Um, what can you do to have that kind of desert day experience uh, for your your once once a, a month uh, kind of thing? Okay, then yearly. Uh, what do we do for the year? Well, um, here here are things for for like priest, we, we make an annual retreat. So I just I just got back from Colorado and doing uh, my annual retreat. Um, a family is probably not going to be able to, you know, like go make an annual retreat. Our husband or wife is not going to be able to get away for like eight days to do a retreat like I did. But my family growing up, we had the family vacation. And this was basically the family retreat. Um, it's something that we, we did all together, whether you like it or not. And uh, well, we like to go to national parks and go hiking. And by we, I mean me, my mom, and my dad, and my sister would complain. That was not her favorite thing. She wanted to go lie on a beach. So we'd have to try to find, you know, okay, we'll go. You can lie on the beach here in Carmel, California. And my dad and I are going to go hike up on Pebble Beach Golf Course and, and look around. And, you know, I'm going to look at an otter or something like that. So try to find something for everyone. But you can imagine... You know, trying to find something that the whole family likes can be challenging. But nonetheless, we had the family vacation. And we would normally get in the car and drive and spend almost two weeks on vacation. I've seen almost all 50 states. There are just a handful that I'm missing. And that's largely because of the family vacation. We would just drive and go find neat stuff. And... The, the important thing was that we did it together. So a lot of my great family memories are from summer family vacation. It was kind of like our annual retreat as a, a family. So maybe you can do something like that. 
uh, plan the family vacation. And it's great to say, forget sports, okay? Yep, maybe if your life is ruled by sports where you say, we can't get away because there's always practice or a game, overcome that, okay? Your, your whole upbringing of your family will be gone and you'll, you'll have never done some of those lasting memories like the, the family vacation sort of thing. So I kind of recommend that. Um, other yearly uh, things, and we, we worked religious things into that. So we always went to churches. We, we never missed mass on Sunday, even when we were traveling. So obviously keep to that rule, your weekly rule of getting to mass each week. Uh, but, you know, it's great to kind of get out as a family and see different places together. Uh, we went to mass one time. The only mass we could find was in Vietnamese. Okay. We went to Mass in Vietnamese. Didn't understand a word they said other than probably Amen. But we know the Mass, so it was kind of nice, actually. Um, and it also is a chance to, to show this is really important. We're going to get to Mass no matter what, even if we're traveling. Um, so there's something for your year. Uh, you know, and that's going to be very different for every family. What do you want to put on your yearly kind of thing? Um, so shoot me some ideas. Tell me what, what your family does for your annual events or rule of life. Um, in addition to the, the annual retreat, uh, for me, um, priests also get uh, a week of continuing education so we can go to a conference or something like that. Um, do something like that. And so maybe that's a, a men's conference or a women's conference or a Catholic family conference. I used to go down to Wichita for the Catholic family conference every year or in the Archdiocese, we have men under construction or, or women of grace and, and things. So there are lots of those kind of once a year sort of conference retreats, day of recollection sort of thing. Work work those in. Um, and, and maybe it's, it's not something specifically religious. Maybe it's like once a year, you get the whole family together to go to a baseball game or a football game or, or something like that. Maybe you go to the Royals once a year as a, a family. I don't know. Or you go to a museum. Uh, we used to go to like the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art or or go check out um, maybe once a year you go someplace nice, like go to a symphony concert. Something to expose yourself to something out of the routine. That's that's kind of the point of the, the yearly rule of life. What are you going to do just once a year? Okay. And that's, that's, you know, very specific to your family. So figure that out. Okay. So there's a little bit of, of, of structure for, you know, breaking down what does my day look like? What does my week look like? What does my month look like? What does my year look like? And then maybe there's some big, huge goal. Like we want to go to Disneyland or, or something like that. Or we want to, we want to take a trip to the Holy Land or to, to Rome or something. Okay. So maybe that's a five-year kind of window. Okay. Why plan this? Okay. I know that some people are not planners. When I take those like personality tests, uh, sometimes, you know, they contrast, do you like to plan things or do you like to be spontaneous? And most people kind of fall into one that is more naturally the other. I've tended, as you might imagine, to be on the planning sort of side. Lately, I, I've been a bit more spontaneous where I just, I kind of like to see what happens. When I was studying canon law in Washington, D.C., I would drive from Kansas to, to D.C., you know, so twice a year, you know, there and back. And I just kind of, on my way, I decided, well, see where I want to go. And I remember I was driving back one time from D.C., coming to Kansas City, and I went up to Philadelphia, see Independence Hall, things like that. And then I'm like, where should I go from here? And I'm like, 
Hmm, I don't know. Let's pray about it. And I'd like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in in Ohio. I'll go do that. I'm not even sure where that's at. Find it, Google it. Like, okay, you know, it's like 15 hours away. Why not? Let's go do it. So sometimes I like to be spontaneous. Sometimes it's good to plan. Sometimes it's good to be spontaneous. Um, if you have a rule, you can always be flexible with it and be spontaneous. Uh, if you have no rule, then you're really stuck with just flying by the seat of your pants. So I do recommend for Christians that we have a rule of life because then we at least know, am I doing it? Okay, maybe I said I'm going to exercise every day and I'm not. Well, all right, at least I know. Am, am I doing that consciously? Because here's the deal. If you don't have a rule, it's really easy for you to think that you're, you're really doing stuff that you're not. Do you exercise? My, my doctor always asks me, like, how often do you exercise? And sometimes I have to be like, oh, um, I'm kind of in a rut. I guess, I guess I'm not. Now, I don't sit down every day and say, am I exercising today? It's not like a conscious choice, but there have been times where I'm like, hmm, no, I guess I'm not really doing that. There's always this gap between who we think we are and, and who we really are. So having a rule will help you. And this is where it kind of ties in. We started off with, oh, I'm a devout Catholic. Beware, people who say that aren't. But yeah, we might have in our mind, I'm a devout Catholic. I go to Mass every Sunday. Well, I mean, I mean, most Sundays, if there's there's not practice. I mean, okay, well, I, I get once a month for sure. You know, it, at least almost every month. And all right, have have a rule, and then you at least you know if you're not doing it. If you say I'm a good Catholic, I go to Mass every Sunday, but there's an exception, like every other month or every couple of weeks, then no, you don't. <laughs> okay, you do not go to Mass every Sunday. Uh, it's good for us to call ourselves on that and just say, all right, I'm not doing it. Um, Brene Brown, the, the great kind of, uh, she's a modern psychologist, uh, contemporary speaker. She does TED Talks and things like that. I love her books. Check out Brene Brown with a B, uh, BB. Uh, she has one of her chapters in Daring Greatly, her great book called Mind the Gap. It, it come, There's a sign by the train platforms where there's a gap between the train and the platform. It says Mind the Gap so you don't fall in between. But she talks more about the, the gap between who we think we are and who we really are. And so our, our actions dictate who we, we really are. You know, it's, it's the old uh, story that I, I used at a homily a little while ago. Um, you know, there are three frogs in a lily pad and, and two of them decide to jump off. How many are left? Uh, three. Because two deciding to jump off doesn't mean they actually jump off. Deciding is not the same as doing. So you might decide all kinds of great things, but if you don't actually do it, what does it matter? You know, uh, so that's where a rule helps us to say, am I doing it? And so you, re part of having a rule is you review it. Am I doing it? Do I need to tweak it? Uh, and so Lent is coming up and it's a great time to kind of say, all right, do I have any order in my life? Is there any structure? Um, if so, let's, let's try to name it. Let's, let's put it down and say, this is what I'm committing to. And Lent is great because we often want to add things or give up things. So we commit to that. We put it down, at least mentally, this is what I'm going to do. Let's do that with our whole life. What am I committing to? What do I want to order my life around? Okay. And then if you want to change it, fine. It's your rule. People are like, 
oh, if I give up this for Lent, does Sunday count? And you know, hey, it's your stuff, okay? If you want to give up chocolate for Lent, does it make sense then to have chocolate every Sunday and say you gave up chocolate for Lent? I don't know. Maybe it does for you. Maybe you can't go more than five minutes without a Snickers. So giving up chocolate for every day except Sunday is a big deal. On the other hand, you know, if you say you're going to um, give up going to the casino for Lent and you go to the casino every Sunday because Sunday doesn't count, I don't know that that really works, okay? So it's your stuff, though. Your rule, your stuff. You you make a rule that works for you. And if you want to change it, no skin off my nose, change it. You know, consult with your priest. Consult with a spiritual director. Consult with friends, like I said. But it's you, okay? So you decide. The important thing is to give a little bit of structure to your life. So at least you know, am I, am I minding that gap? Am I really who I say I am? Uh, and if not, no shame there. But... Maybe that'll be the impetus to, to help you do some better things, okay? So tonight we've been talking about having a rule of life. Monks do it. Priests do it. You can do it. It's nice to have a rule of life. Uh, that way we know, are we doing what we say we are? Um, part of my little rule is to do Sean the Baptist live every Wednesday. So 6.30 live here on Facebook. And then if you haven't noticed, if you're new joining us this week, after I'm done here, of course, the video is available on Facebook to share all over the place. Please do that. If you haven't liked my Sean the Baptist page on Facebook, please do that. Uh, follow it. Like it. That way uh, you can find out when I'm going live uh, for like the morning message, things like that. But then also when this is done, there are a lot of people now, especially with all the kind of censoring and things where people are dumping Facebook, dumping Twitter or whatever. YouTube is still kind of generic. Uh, video sharing. So I upload this video to YouTube after I'm done and you can get it there on YouTube. Sean the Baptist also on there. Um, all the video links, everything, you can go to seanthebaptist.org and click on all the little social buttons. I've got Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I've, I've been doing some photography lately, so I've got some great pictures out on my, my Flickr uh, photo sharing page. You can click on that from seanthebaptist.org. Go check all that out. Um, and uh, please do share and like that around because that's how the social media works. So every Wednesday here, 6.30 live, if you haven't signed up for the morning message, follow that. You can subscribe to it as a podcast, five, six minutes every morning, uh, a little bit to, to start your day well. So that's all the things going on with Sean the Baptist Media, Sean the Baptist Enterprises, Sean the Baptist Incorporated. I don't know. I guess I'm not incorporated. Nonetheless, Sean the Baptist is here for you. If there's something you'd like to see, something you'd like me to talk about, uh, please let me know. But thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for those who commented and shared. I look forward to reading your, your comments throughout the week. And I'll be back with you live next Wednesday at 6.30 uh, when it is Ash Wednesday. I do not have the 6.30 uh, mass or whatever time mass is here. So I will be live with you next Wednesday and look forward to kicking off Lent together in this strange COVID kind of time. Until then, pray that Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.